1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group alongside Phil Paleologos. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. And a very good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Always a pleasure each Sunday to be side by side with somebody I think is a great public servant because what Ray Lance disseminates on this radio program really does help strengthen the family. It protects the family. Ray, when I say this and I mean it from my heart, I love being with you here on Money Wise. Thank you so much, Phil. Good Sunday morning, good ladies and morning. gentlemen. Yes. Welcome to Money Wise. And good morning to Peter Lance also. Good morning. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Pete. You look great. Thank you. lost you. weight. Yes. You know, it's I always an up and down battle. You did too? <laughs> I did too. You did too. Good did for too. you. It's, it is a battle. My carbon footprint is smaller. <laughs> it looks it. That's not the only footprint that's smaller. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. It's been a while since I've been on. It's been about three weeks or so. I guess we could say your seat footprint is smaller when you sit, right? Yes, my children don't complain as much when I accidentally sit on them. (laughs) Well, actually, Peter and I have not exactly a contest, but we both started about the same time. So, Peter, how much weight have you lost? Just nine. Oh, that's good. Good. No, no, nine is great. Well, I'm hovering between seven and eight that I've lost. Great, that is awesome. And it's a struggle. It's hard. No. It takes... Paying attention to what you're eating. We didn't do it to start a competition or even have any knowledge that either of us were doing it. We just sort of started doing it on our own. But now the Marine Corps Healthy Competition has kicked in, I think. I think so, too. (laughs) So what should we try next, Pete? Should we try uh, riding in the Pan Mass Challenge or should we try a 5K uh, marathon or something? I'm going to do some 5Ks with my wife. I wouldn't call them marathons, but it's a good place to start. They're about three miles, and I'm going to start doing those with my wife. And I might do the Pan Mass Challenge again. I did it four years ago, I think it was, uh, 2012, 2013, so four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, however, I did no training leading up to it, zero. I just jumped on a bicycle, and I didn't know that the tire pressure wasn't inflated as much as it was supposed to be, and I didn't have any baskets on my feet um, or pedals, I should say. So I was just using regular old sneakers and regular old pedals, and people were telling me I was nuts, but I did it. <laughs> wow. Yes. Well, I have some little devices on my bicycle pedals now that lock into a pair of shoes. And so when you lift up, you're lifting the pedal up as well as pushing it down again. I forgot the exact mileage, but that's that's very important what you just said. It's uh, the single largest sports-related event uh, fundraiser in the country. That's right. Uh, raises a lot of money for the Jimmy Fund and Cancer Research. And, uh, and it's, it's right here in Massachusetts. It's in Massachusetts. It starts in Wellesley and goes all the way to Provincetown. Well, the interesting thing is you can actually pick it up in a number of spots, so you don't have to do the whole 75 miles. You can do 50 miles or whatever Mm -hmm. the distances are. You can pick it up at the entrance to the Cape and different locations. But the people that do this most every year, the Pan Mass Challenge, they're very dedicated, and you can't just ride in the race. You have to make a commitment to raise money for the Dana-Farber Institute. I think it was like $4,000. Now I think you have to raise 6000 per person. Well, it's a good event. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear us talking further about this in the future because we've signed up for it, I would venture to say that everybody listening to the show today has been touched in some fashion by cancer. 
You bet. If not you yourself, you've got a family member, you've got friends. It's it's there with us, and there's still lots of work to be done. Well, it was a grueling event, uh, but I absolutely loved it, and I'm telling you, it was it was wonderful to be a part of. And everyone from the volunteers to the riders and all all between had smiles the entire weekend. Well, we'll have to think seriously about doing that, Pete. Well, let me tell you about what our topic is today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about husbands and wives and money decisions. And some of the subtopics are how to keep money from messing up your marriage, money mistakes almost everybody makes, 10 ways to prevent money from ruining your marriage, and what happens if you're not married? Well, you're still going to learn some important things from this show, so stay tuned. Um, We have a lot to talk about with this particular subject, and we all know families, maybe your own family, where money has been an argument. One person spends, one person doesn't. One person's more conservative, one person's not. And Boy, there's nothing that can wreck a marriage faster. We're going to talk a little bit about some statistics. So just first of all to remind you that MoneyWise is brought to you by USA Wealth Group. We are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. And you can stop in and ask for some free information. We'll be happy to provide it. We've got so many things that we can show you and give to you. We just received something new on the Internet from one of the organizations we belong to, and it's called... 2017 tax summary. So it's a double-sided piece of paper. We've downloaded and made some extra copies, and it shows what the tax brackets are for 2017, what the exemptions are, um, information about the tax rates for capital gains, how much can you contribute to IRA accounts, gifts, taxes, health care amounts, education. Um, What amounts of money can you Uh, pay out or deduct for education, social security, maximum earnings subject to FICA tax, which is the social security, has been elevated a little bit. So now if you earn up to $127,200, you're going to pay social security tax on the full amount of that. But if you make more than that money, the excess over the $127,200 is not going to have to pay social security tax. I personally don't think that's fair. I don't either. Why should people who make a lot of money not pay Social Security tax on all of their earnings? Anyway, there's some really good information. Uh, There's information that tells you um, there's a chart, there's a table on uh, what the percentages you have to withdraw from an IRA account when you reach various ages. Just tons and tons of good information. Um, information about who should be your beneficiaries on your IRA accounts. This is a free publication. It's amazing the amount of stuff that you can pack into one page. So, Phil, here's a copy for you. Thank you very much, Ray. I will look at this. Wow. This is good Study it. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a quiz. Something I always like to say and mention when I'm on is that we've been now doing this radio show for, what, five years probably? Mm -hmm. Five years. And I always like to say that if you have any questions, uh, please give our office a call 
and we'll be happy to answer them for you regardless of whether you're a client or not. And in addition, all of the radio shows are saved and we can get you a copy of the CD on almost any topic as well as a large part of our office. We have a back room with uh, all these little cubbies with information packets on almost any financial real estate uh, matter you might be possibly interested in. We'll be happy to get you a copy of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should mention the phone number. It's yes. 508-998-8858. We've been getting more and more people calling and asking for information to either be picked up or mailed out to them. So we've got a lot of good reports. Um, it's to benefit you. It's to help you who are listening. You can also visit our website, www.usawealthgroup.com. Quite simple. So let's talk about a few interesting statistics one of the things I get uh, every single month is some interesting uh, information on how the economy is doing. It's called By the Numbers. And every time I read this, it's on one piece of paper, I'm amazed. This one is called Can't Get Ahead. 45% of the 118 million households in the United States live paycheck to paycheck. And I venture to say the same is true in this community. At least half the people listening today are li- are living paycheck to paycheck. It's it's still not a great economy out there. And this is from the National Endowment for Financial Education, and this is something I found really interesting, Phil. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is the biggest landowner in the United States? I would say the government. Absolutely. Is it? Absolutely. Yeah. Why is that a surprise? <laughs> but, but this will amaze you because oh. I was my yeah. mouth dropped open when I read this. The federal government owns 28% of all the land in the United States, total of 640 million acres. This is from congressional research. One-third of all the land in the country is owned by the federal government. Wow. Um, I didn't know it was that that's much. The, that's the federal government. That's the federal, right. The states, of course, own more as well. I, I can believe that. I mean, just look at the size of some of the national parks and then the military bases. Look at 29 Palms, California. That's something ridiculous, uh, like 600 square miles, I think it is. It's it's a mm-hmm. huge military base out in uh, eastern, southeastern California. Marine Corps base. Yeah. Jet base, jet training, plane training. They call it 29 Palms, but I've been there once. I don't. Were you ever there? No. There are about five palm trees at the entrance to the base, and that's it. There's no other uh, vegetation of any kind. It's all desert. <laughs> well, it's like when you're in the Marine Corps. You have to use your imagination a little bit. <laughs> 29 Palms used to be one of my affiliates. Is there a small radio station around there? Because that was the, uh, the town that my affiliate was located near. 29 Palms. Honestly, I don't remember. I uh, didn't see much. Uh, we were there for a two weeks combined arms exercise, and we yep. just saw a lot of sand. <laughs> oh, there is a lot of sand. Out there, what about yeah. the buildings the government owns? That uh, would be an interesting thing to find out. Yeah, it? it would be. Yeah, well, we the a, post offices, all the federal business. And empty buildings, uh, buildings that are just not generating anything, Ray. Well, one thing I would agree with you about politically, Phil, is that we have too much government in our lives, mm. and it costs us a lot of money. Absolutely. So anyway, I want to tell you one more thing, a little interesting statistic and information. We've seen a lot of articles recently about um, kids graduating from college. They can't get a job. They have to take something for uh, less money than what they were perhaps trained for, what they were hoping for. Colleges, of course, continue to really push and promote getting a college education. 
Uh, more and more students are graduating with debt that they can't support from college loans. So we're blessed in this community that we have the Greater New Bedford Regional Vocational Tech School. Um, we've got one in Attleboro, too, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't there a Vogue school in, in Attleboro? There's uh, one in the Fall Cape. River. Yeah, a very Diamond good one Vogue. in Fall River. Diamond okay, Vogue. Vogue. And there's one in the Cape. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people that have gone to vocational school, a lot of kids, they learn a trade, and then from there they go on to college. And oh, now they sure. have two opportunities to do things. Yep. So one of the little sections in this by-the-numbers sheet says, do not need college. Historically, 33% of college graduates in the United States that are employed are working in jobs that do not require a college degree. Hmm. Uh, in other words, they're underemployed. Um, so because of the 2008 global financial crisis, which really originated here, I think, the percentage of recent college graduates working in jobs that do not require a college degree has jumped from 33% to 44%. So 44% of kids graduating from college with a college degree expecting to do something in uh, you know, a professional field perhaps – are actually working in something that doesn't even require having a college degree. And this is from the uh, New York Federal Reserve Bank. So think about that when you're thinking about maybe making a decision about whether to go to school or whether to do computer training or something else. Well, here's the problem that I see, and I'm dealing with this firsthand. My 13-and-a-half-year-old just had a, a program this past week on picking out his classes for high school. He gets to actually pick a couple of electives, whereas when I went to high school, you basically took what they told you to take, and that was it, uh, at least until you got further on in your high school education. Uh, so we're trying to decide. We had a discussion with them this week, a lengthy one, trying to figure out what do you want to do with your life. And I, gave, I wrote down a list of 20 or 30 different careers. And there were some that he was sort of saying, well, maybe, and there were others, yeah, may, yeah, or, no, I definitely don't want to do that. And I would like to know how many children entering high school know what they want to do with their lives. Nobody and those are the very lucky ones. It's probably 5 or 10%, and if they're lucky that. because they know exactly oh, what they want to do. I would say <laughs> one half of 1%. Mm-hmm. So it's yes. kind of difficult to decide whether you're going to go to a vocational school or just high school or you know, continue on with a college education. Pete, that question can be asked of college students. Sure. Ask them. What is it that you want to do? And they'll say, I don't know. I'm not sure. And they're in college already. Yeah, that was true of me. I've been sort of a late bloomer for making those kinds of decisions. I was in my last year in college. I was majoring in English literature, which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Learned how to write really well and and, uh, learned a lot of good information. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I happened to take a course called Sociology and the Law. And the professor had a law degree. And based on that course, I decided, I think I'll apply to law school. Wow. And that's how I made my decision to go to law school. Hmm. So it's, you can't know at 13, but you can be thinking about some it. People yeah, do, some though, people do, though. They're the lucky ones. One of my best friends, my, my best friend since I was eight years old, he owns a successful automotive tuning shop out in the Midwest. And he wanted to do that since I met him. <laughs> was taking engines apart at nine, ten years old. <laughs> well, it's good to have a vision. It's good to have a dream. You're listening to USA Wealth Group. I'd like to get started with our topic, which is husbands and wives and money decisions. So I wonder how many people think that they 
have a good marriage, Phil. Hmm. So <laughs> I'm not asking you. I'm not asking Peter. I'm not asking me. This is just a general question for our listening audience. Yeah, yeah. I was so, trying to figure out if that was a snore or a snort. Well, this, is a, <laughs> this is a lead into my first quotation yeah. for the day. So a good marriage would be between a blind wife and a deaf husband. Oh, no. Should I repeat that? Do you understand that? A good marriage this. would be between a blind wife and a deaf husband. We are mute. We are silent. <laughs> and we won't have any comments on our own respective relationships. I mean... There's always good points and there's always not so good points. <laughs> Let's talk about money. Um, I wonder how many people really go into marriage having a discussion about their finances. I mean, you date and everything is rosy and you go out and you have a good time and you go out to maybe some restaurants, maybe you take some trips together, you have good times. But I wonder how many people, once they start to think about getting married, have a discussion about what do you have in your savings account? And I'll tell you what I have in my savings account. Or what if you have a real disparity? Um, you've got one person who comes from a very wealthy family, and you've got one person who does not come from a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. Uh, should there be a prenuptial agreement? There's many, many things to think about. So let's start by talking about a prenuptial agreement. Um, I know uh, Attorney Tenny Lance does a lot of prenuptial agreements, and Generally, it's for somebody who's getting married a little bit later in life, and what you do is you sit down and you each disclose in full detail what all of your respective assets are. A lot of times, it's for somebody who has uh, a wealthy family and they're going to inherit, you know, a million dollars or two million dollars, and they get pressured by their parents to say, "Do a prenuptial agreement," because roughly half marriages, half of the marriages, will end up in a divorce. It's actually slightly over that now, I think. So prenuptial agreements can be useful to protect family fortunes, and it can say anything that I have a right to inherit is mine, anything you have a right to inherit is yours. But the key is you have to have full disclosure, and you have to have a separate attorney on each side. You can't have one attorney who draws the agreement and represents both parties. And here's a a point to make about that. It's not ever going to be an easy discussion or something that is easily brought up even. Uh, But a marriage is all about, trust me, once you get into, you know, 15 years plus of marriage, it's about having conversations about difficult subjects and trying to work through them together. So if you can't have difficult decisions before you get married, uh, then maybe you should really consider, you know, how strong the marriage will be. You really need to have difficult decisions throughout your entire marriage. Well, a marriage is a partnership, and it's a partnership financially and economically as well as it is emotionally. Mm -hmm. And the easy side in some ways is the emotional side because you care about each other, you want to help each other, you want to support each other. But you need to be thinking about the business side of a marriage also. That's, That's what this is about. One of my sister's friends used to always say, I won't marry anyone or date them for very long unless I can see their credit score in their bank account. And I think this person was doing it more because they wanted, you know, somebody wealthy. But especially now more than ever, certainly the credit score and knowing whether your partner is financially responsible is a very important thing to be, you know, made aware of. That person you're talking about, isn't she married for a second time? Uh, To be honest, I don't even know. I'm not that close with her. Hmm. Well, in any event, it's good to know 
um, what you each have. It's good to know what are your thoughts about setting aside money for college for children? Are we going to have children if we have children? I mean, you really need to have these discussions. I said this, and this is years ago that I um, saw this commercial and years since I've mentioned it, but there's a great commercial uh, where the son comes home from school and says, Mom, Dad, great, I got a full scholarship. And the son leaves and the wife and the husband look at each other and they say, Plan B? (laughs) And all of a sudden that parts with them leaving on a boat that is named Plan B. <laughs> Good. Like so you that. do have to plan, but if yeah. you know things change, then you, know, you have more for your own retirement. Well, let me give you an actual case that I had in our office, and this goes back just a short while ago, a year or two years ago. I, I had a woman come see me, and she had a problem because uh, she had – it was a second marriage for her and her husband – she had a child from her first marriage. They weren't going to have more children together. But uh, her husband had a very good-paying job, and she had managed to accumulate $100,000 of credit card debt on their joint credit cards. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the son had some drug issues, and she was spending a lot of money to pay for medical rehab and drug rehab treatment. But the problem is she didn't discuss it with him, so she didn't tell him about it. And all of a sudden, the reality of it faced her, and she said, what do I do now? Uh, How do I get out of this mess? And she borrowed some money from one of her parents and paid part of it, but then proceeded to run up some bills again. So we had a family conference, and I said, you've got to have full disclosure. I'll be the in-between person. We did. Thankfully, the husband took it relatively well. Um... We worked out a plan. Actually, Attorney Michael Coleman got involved as a referral, and he was able to negotiate down some of the credit cards and pay smaller payments and settle off the credit cards, and we got them all paid off. But it's real important to have discussion and disclosure. You don't want to keep secrets, financial secrets. Gambling has destroyed as many marriages as you know anything else, I believe, You know, and it is a disease. I know um, somebody... Uh, probably 10 years ago, went on a cruise, and uh, this person maxed out all of his credit cards and depleted all their savings and everything else. It was something ridiculous, like $30,000 that they gambled away on a cruise ship, lost it all, and got divorced shortly thereafter. Hmm. It's it's a disease. You have to know your spouse's habits and, and discuss them. So that would be a warning sign if somebody was into gambling, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I know somebody who won a sizable, very sizable amount, um, and yet they still uh, – I was with this person every day for a few months, and every single morning they'd go and get 20 or $30 worth of scratch tickets after they had already won a very large sum of money. Mm-hmm. So. Well, every marriage is different. There's lots of problems in marriage, um, you know, arguments about children or chores or communication. Yeah. Money isn't necessarily what people fight about the most, but it's very close to the top. So you've got to have communications. It's hard to talk about. One of the things that I stress so much on the radio all the time, Pete, and you hear me all the time talking about it, is the need to have a budget. If you don't have a family budget, you don't know where the money's being spent. And then it's not a bad idea, too, to have within the budget say, all right, we'll have a little allowance for each of us. So you can spend 25 or $50 a week on whatever you want to, which will include your lunches or whatever it happens to be. There isn't more than 5% of the people that we've ever met with, I don't think, who knew exactly what they were 
taking in and putting out every single week, every single month, every single year. Uh, we do have the double-sided budget form at the office that 95% of people, when they fill it out, you know, are either slightly or very surprised when they, you know, write everything down and actually account for everything. Well, here's a real simple rule that will help everybody listening today, whether you're single or whether you're married. Have a spending limit. Have an agreement that you're not going to be tempted to go out and buy something in the store for $200. Have a spending limit and say, between us, we won't spend anything more than $50 or $100 unless we sit down and talk with each other first. Right. And and then sometimes the need for buying that thing will disappear. So set a spending limit. It's a real basic thing. Um, basic bills, maybe you have a joint checking account for basic bills. But maybe then you have your own private account also. Um, maybe you have an agreement that anything over a certain dollar amount you discuss and wait 24 hours you know, to decide whether sure. or not you're going to buy it. Your it be- ardor cools down then, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you can- need to buy that thing. cools down. Give you an example. L.O. Beans was just running a promotion. If you spend $100 at L.O. Beans, this is post-Christmas, they're going to give you a $25 gift card. Mm-hmm. But unless you really need something, why go out and spend something just to make a discount? Well, you know, it's good to go out to dinner once in a while too, isn't mm-hmm. it, Pete? Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing, especially when we can do it without our children. So here's, <laughs> here's what uh, Henny Youngman said about going out to dinner. Some people ask the secret of our long marriage. We take time to go to a restaurant two times a week, a little candlelight, dinner, soft music, and dancing. She goes Tuesdays. I go Fridays. <laughs> take my wife. Please. Take my wife. <laughs> he used to say, I, I met him a few times. He was such a riot. Oh, yeah. High energy. High, high energy. Take my wife, please. Henny Youngman, yeah. We're going to come right back after a short break and talk about some specifics on how to handle money with your spouse. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Money Wise, brought to you by USA Wealth Group every Sunday morning. We thank you so much for listening. This morning, we're so happy to be with Phil and with Peter Lance And most of all, we're happy to be talking with you. We're happy to have you tune in and pick up a few tips that you might use in your own family. We were talking before the break about dining out, and you had a nice little joke about that. Uh, My wife and I get to eat out, just the two of us, probably four times a year, and it really is a wonderful thing to just have the two of us and have an adult conversation. Uh, But spending money on takeout food and dining out can add up to be an enormous expense, and that's another reason why you should get a budget form mm-hmm. from our office. Uh, we can even email it to you, fax it to you, uh, mail it, a uh, hard copy to you, or you can pick one up at our office. Uh, we're located in North Dartmouth off of Fonts Corner Road, and the phone number is 508-998-8858. In a Wall Street Journal article uh, from roughly two years ago, it talks about the biggest fights that couples have about money, and there's some very good specific details in here. We can get this article to you as well. Um, but one of the other things to be uh, you know, praised for your financial responsibility, 93% of women find men more attractive who are financially responsible. Oh, no question. And 84% of men find women more attractive who are financially responsible. Hmm. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought there would be other things they would be looking at. <laughs> well, silence. 
<laughs> All right, so let's go back and just really quickly recap a couple of tips between couples. We talked about prenuptial agreement maybe. doesn't have to be a huge estate. What if you're expecting to inherit money, for example? That's a perfect time to think about doing it. Have a budget? Absolutely, yes. We've got free forms. We're happy to provide it. It'll be our wedding gift to you, our prenuptial gift to you. Uh, keep a joint account perhaps for the basic bills, whether it's rent or mortgage and things of that nature. Um, have to get paid car payments. Um, but then you may want to have your own separate account for handling some of your own separate needs. And don't keep secrets from each other. The worst thing to do in a marriage is have a breach of trust. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. Of any from, kind. Of any kind. But including with money. People don't think about this sometimes. So what if the husband every week, every morning he goes to work, buys a very expensive coffee and breakfast and doesn't tell his wife about it? Gee, I don't know where the money's going, honey, but, you know, I don't have enough money for my lunch. But, in fact, he's spending money on extra things that he doesn't need to. Well, that's one of the things, again, this is now the third time I'm mentioning it, why you need a budget form because – so many people don't think about those quote unquote little things, but when you're spending three, four, five dollars or more every morning at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or you know New York Bagel, whatever, if you do that every morning, especially if both of you are doing it, it adds up to a lot per month. So you really need to be aware of it, and uh, you should write everything down. We have it all listed out in detail for you. It's it's uh, really very easy to follow along. Well, be honest with your spouse or your spouse to be right from the very beginning. If you have any debt, if you have credit cards, if you have a car loan, you basically need to say, let me just lay out for you what expenses I have so you'll be aware of that as well. And again, it's not the easiest topic to bring up, but once you do, I'm sure it'll be a weight lifted off of your chest and you need to be on the same page because if it's found out later on, then it's going to spell trouble for the marriage. So let's talk about weddings. Uh, How many people go really overboard in spending for a wedding? The average cost for a, a wedding I read recently is about twenty-five or twenty-six thousand dollars. Wow, that's a lot of money. So who's going to pay for it? Um, if the parents of the kids, the children, are going to pay for it, that's terrific. Well, what if you did a less expensive wedding, for example, and really cut down the number of people on the guest list? You don't need three hundred people at a wedding, perhaps, and. You said to your parents, rather than spend all the money on the wedding, we'd rather take $5,000 of your money and put it into an account so we can save as a down payment to buy a house. Yep. So um, there's lots of ways, but people go really nuts about wedding costs, don't they? Especially, obviously, the wealthy and you know some of these people who preach about different charities. I just heard that Kurt Busch, the NASCAR driver, had a wedding in the last week or so. And it's estimated that he spent upwards of $2 million to have Aerosmith perform at his wedding. Never mind the rest of the wedding. And yet he didn't ask for gifts. He wanted people to donate to his new wife's charity of choice, which is an animal rescue league type place. And I'm thinking, how much more could you have done if you had decided not to have Aerosmith perform at your wedding? Right. (laughs) Yep. Well, there's lots of ways to uh, cut down on cost in weddings. We're not going to go into that particular topic right now. but One of the things to discuss is whether you're going to continue keeping your separate accounts and have one joint account as well, mm-hmm. or if you're going to just have a, a joint account. Uh, I know many people who have separate accounts, and that works very well for them. 
I know people who have separate accounts, and it does not work very well for them. Uh, the traditional thing, I believe, is most people have a joint account, and both husband and wife are aware of what's going in and what's going out. Um, but it really depends on each individual situation as to what works for you. But you need to have that discussion as well. And if you didn't have the discussion before you got married, you're going to find out really quickly that problems are going to pop up, and then you must have a discussion at that point in time, or the marriage is not going to last. So what happens if one person is a spender and the other person is a saver? You really need to know what your characteristics are. And it's obviously a a bad thing if both are spenders. You need to at least have one to keep things in check. Mm -hmm. Or what if you have a husband and wife and only one spouse is working? And typically it tends to be the husband, but not always. Um, I have a client I just saw recently where... The wife has a very good job, and she's working, and they have a brand-new baby. Uh, In fact, it's one of the insurance agencies that we work with. She just recently returned to work, and, you know, I asked questions about the baby and how's the baby doing, and is she using daycare. And she said, no. She said, my income is more than my husband's, so he's going to be a stay-at-home dad and help take care of the baby, and I'm the one at work. Hmm. So that does occur. Usually it's the other way around. Right. But – If you have one person who earns the money and the other one's staying at home, many times the person who's earning the money thinks that they need to be in control of the spending. Ray, have you priced out daycare costs? Oh, don't even get me started. (laughs) Peter's been paying daycare costs. So if you take the total cost of daycare per year and you uh, take that against what his salary is – then I can, you know, you, you can start understanding why, and it plus the emotional connection being at home with your own children. I can see why she made that decision. Well, uh, often it doesn't pay financially to uh, have both spouses working and then pay daycare because it takes away almost all the money that one of the spouses might be making. I think the latest figures is that it costs something like $240,000 per child to raise them just until college. Not through college, well, just a story until in the, college. In the local Standard Times recently, it said it was $233,000 per child to get a child through high school. That's what's, that's what's going to cost. Yeah, so not even, not even through college. So I estimated, and this was over a year ago, that my three children so far have cost about one hundred and thirty to $140,000 in daycare alone. Wow. And they're all older now and not in daycare any longer, but that's about how much we spent. Well, well I have a solution <laughs> for your 13-year-old. It was a Mark Twain quote that I just read recently, and he said, when a child turns 13, you put him in a barrel, you fasten down the cover, you feed him through the bunghole. When he's 16, you plug up the bunghole. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Is that the right word? You know, the little hole in the barrel? Yeah, it means something else in another context, but okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I the hole in the barrel. The hole in the barrel. That would be better. I didn't mean that, <laughs> honest. But um, they'll say something. <laughs> you're listening to Money Wise. <laughs> Hopefully you're enjoying the show, folks. <laughs> We're enjoying it doing this show, that's for sure. <laughs> I think this is probably the first time on the radio that I've lost it. <laughs> Usually I maintain my Yes. Uh, so, folks, that's the hole in the barrel. Um, 
<laughs> well, you have to have spending priorities for children as well. People fight about that. But you have to have decisions. And if you have debt, you have to talk about, you know, gee, our credit cards are too high. What can we do to stop spending? We've talked in the past repeatedly about the fact that if you can get your credit card debt down to 50% of your available credit, you're going to help your credit score. So the same it's, goes through with husbands and wives. Again, whether you've been married for 50 years or whether you're about to get married, it's all important discussions that you need to have. Here's, here's a piece of outside information. There's a website called Money Harmony, and they have an online money personality quiz. So if you're unsure of what, the, what kind of a person you are, although probably you're going to know, you can go into moneyharmony.com and take the online personality quiz and find out are you a spender or are you a saver? You need to both sit down earlier is obviously better and discuss your retirement. I know some people that I've met with, they say, I'm retired at 55. I don't care what happens. I'm done at 55. I cannot work past 55. And there's other people that don't want to retire and they want to work right through 70, 75, 80. Uh, you need to have that discussion and make sure that you're both on the same page. You need to uh, plan for that. You need to save for it. You need to talk about life insurance. Life insurance is a wonderful gift for each other. It's not something to you know think morbidly about. It's a wonderful gift for each other. You need to have all these discussions. You need to decide whether you're going to have children. If so, what you're going to be doing to save and provide for them and provide life insurance for them. So again, whether you're thinking about getting married or whether you've been married for a long time, uh, talk to us and we'll help you outline a plan. We do have a plan in front of us now of just topics to discuss with your partner. Uh, and we're happy to provide that to you as well. You know, in preparing for the show, I've read a lot of different kinds of articles, and you sort of have to think about your own personality and how you were raised, how you were brought up. If you grew up poor, um, sometimes people have the attitude that they're never going to have enough money, and so therefore they become spenders. And this is not a show about psychology, but you have to think about your own background and how you were raised and what kind of a household did you live in and was there available money, was there not available money, and how has it influenced your life? Mm-hmm. Some people just become spenders, you know, if they have a decent-paying job. Uh, they're so used to not having money when they grew up that they'll just go out and continue to spend. Um, but what you don't want to do is you don't want to have a secret spender in, in the couple, uh, sometimes called financial infidelity, and it, it really is. So what you need to do is to create a separate bank account for the spender, and give that person a fixed amount and say, you know, you can't handle money or maybe you should just have a certain amount in your account and that's all you can spend, you know, almost like an allowance. Right. But there's nothing wrong with doing that. What do you do if one person is the designated bill payer and they're not paying the bills on time? That's going to lead to fights. I've actually seen that. I've seen people who were duped uh, by their partner. The partner was claiming that they were paying the bills on time when, in fact, they were spending it elsewhere and they got behind in bills and credit scores suffered and it just it spells nothing but trouble. So there's some practical things you can do if you have that kind of a situation going on in your relationship. You can say, look, first of every month we're going to sit down We're going to spend two hours on a Sunday afternoon. We're going to put all the bills on the kitchen table. We're going to sort them. We're going to set up a schedule for when they need to get paid. So you can do that. The other thing you can do, obviously, is you can have automatic bill paying. There are a lot of things today you can pay online and have it taken or 
have it deducted automatically right out of your banking account. And in some cases, you actually receive a discount for doing that. How about this kind of a problem? One spouse borrows money from the family without the other person knowing about it. That sets up, again, a certain kind of dishonesty, and I'm sure a lot of people are doing that. Uh, when you get in-laws involved, you're doubling the stakes in, in a sense. The, the the old apron strings become reinforced once you take a loan. And sooner or later, um, your partner's going to notice that you're paying back money to mom, for example. Long Bottom line is be open, be upfront with each other. Uh, if you haven't been, have the discussion now because it will come out and it will uh, – you know, really be a big thing. Uh, marriage is a partnership. You need to be a team. My wife and I say that all the time. Uh, we need to be a team, be a team, be a team. Yep. Um, and, you know, you need to have a plan right from the beginning. And a lot of these topics may or may not be the easiest thing to discuss, but life is not easy. Life is all about ups and downs, and if you can't ride the wave together, then, you know, it's, it's not going to last anyway. So have the discussion. Be a team. And don't just get married for money either. I mean, some people do that. So uh, Jackie Kennedy once said, the first time you marry for love, the second for money, and the third for companionship. She had three marriages. But um, be a team. That's the most important rule. And was Larry King married like eight times? Oh, at least. I don't know. At what was the eighth eight marriage times. for him? Oh, yeah. Oh. That's beyond optimism. That's <laughs> wishful thinking. Marry the eighth time to have someone to change your diapers. <laughs> no. Well, we won't go there. That's good. We've already gone too far today. Um, That's uh, a hole in the barrel, folks. <laughs> I, I messed up on that. I apologize. Well, anyway, let's talk about some very specific suggestions. We talked about having a joint account for the basic bills, an allowance account for your smaller sums of money, plan for retirement, start early to put aside some money for IRAs. Eventually, when the kids are gone, it's going to catch up with you later. And that is huge. We've discussed it in the past. Set aside as much money as you can as early as you can. It's going to make that much more of a difference. And once you do it, you're not going to miss the money. You're not going to remember that it's you know even being deducted in most cases. Uh, my wife has been working for uh, Hasbro and Providence, uh, the toy company, not the uh, hospital, and she's been uh, setting aside the maximum contribution that she can, and it, it adds up and makes a difference. Well, you have to plan at some point for that, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, plan for college savings. Um, how about insurance? Oh yeah. What happens if one spouse dies, and it happens? And you've seen examples of it in the community, Peter, and even in the fire department not long ago, right? Yep. And when that happens, then uh, if you don't have insurance to take care of the other person, they may be forced into finding another marriage at some point in time. And necessarily, you don't necessarily want to do that. Um, Susie Orman always says, have an emergency fund. We believe the same thing. That's hard to do. If you have half of the population living from week to week and paycheck to paycheck, it's really hard to have some kind of a savings fund. But you need to do that. Um, How about overspending on housing? How many people do you know that think once they're married they have to go out and buy a fancy house right away and they overspend on housing? Have you seen people do that before, Peter? Uh, Yeah, and then they end up losing the house, a lot of them. 
I have a, a client in a, a local town who's in a second marriage. Um, might be a first marriage for his wife. She has a very good professional job, makes a lot of money. He works for himself and doesn't make a lot of money. And he has significant debt. And uh, they did talk about their finances ahead of time. But now that they're married, it's not clear whether the wife who's making more money is going to allow any of her resources to be used to help take care of the husband's problems, even though she knew about it. So that may lead to a short marriage if that happens. But if you go into a marriage with a lot of debt, um, then maybe you need to keep your assets totally separate and not mix things in each other's names. Um, How about negotiating prices? This is something that people should do. Don't go out and automatically spend things. How about skimping on career investments? If you should... Use some of your funds to complete a degree or to take an advanced course in something or to learn a new business or a new trade. That's something you need to discuss together. But if you do that, it might improve how much money you're going to be earning. How about gifting? I wonder how many people have similar decision points on gifting. Let's take Christmas time or year-end, for example. I wonder how many people are used to growing up in a family where there were a lot of gifts giving, so they continue that same tradition, but maybe their spouse hasn't spent a lot of money on gifts, and they think that it's overspending and spending too much money. That can be something that people should agree to, right, Pete? Yep. And, again, we talked about planning for retirement. One of the things that I've seen too many times over the years is a situation where you have – One person who's been paying all the bills, uh, maybe it's the husband, and runs the checkbook. It's a a form of control in a way also. And his wife knows absolutely nothing about finances. And we've seen that kind of example more often than the other way around. And so then when the husband dies, uh, there's no information at all that the wife knows how to handle. She's never written a check before. She doesn't know what the assets are. She knows nothing about finances, money. Um, I think it's real important that you teach your spouse also. Um, So um, we're going to wrap up here fairly shortly. Money issues are responsible for, uh, according to one survey, at least 22% of all divorces. This is the third leading course uh, reason for uh, divorce. And if you don't solve the money problem, you're going to have marriage problems. And don't spend too much money on the wedding. We've already talked about that. Uh, People tend to do that, Mm -hmm. sometimes even going into debt. And uh, you don't need to spend that kind of money. Sit down with a financial planner. Sit down with us. Um, Give us contact information again, Pete. Uh, Located in North Dartmouth, 352 Fonts Corner Road. And the phone number is 508 998 8858. Happy to get you copies of any show and tons and tons of informational material on any subject you can imagine, including how to have discussions with your spouse or significant other uh, about money and every aspect of uh, your financial life with your partner. And you have to think about the mindset of people uh, in general. You know, in the end, because you are working as a team, um, you want to say, What's the goal here? What's the prize? Are we looking to have money so we can take a vacation? Are we looking to put kids through school? Are we looking to be able to retire some way? 
Um, it's estimated that only a third of the population has ever done a budget, according to a Gallup poll study. Um, my own personal experience, I only 5% of the people I've seen have done a budget. So if you don't have a budget, it's like having a roadmap and trying to figure out where you're going without a roadmap right. or a GPS. If you don't have a budget, you don't know where you're going. Uh, stop keeping secrets from each other. You have to be very open about how you're doing. And occasionally give each other some breathing space. Um, you know, have some fun money if you can afford to do that. I, I don't care what kind of marriage you have, whether you are check-to-check or whether you are wealthy. There will be ups and downs in your marriage, not just uh, with life in general, but with financial situations. The wealthiest people have uh, financial uh, difficulties and discussions, and of course, um, you know the, the people who are check to check need to have discussions and have those kind of up and ups and downs as well. So, and remember the golden rule. The golden rule says, um, "Am I doing something that I would feel comfortable having my spouse do?" If I'm going to go out and spend something, you know, unnecessarily, is this something that um, I would feel uncomfortable about or angry about if my spouse did the same thing? Well, I know people who have gotten into trouble by getting their spouse gifts all the time, and then they end up in financial difficulty. So it might be nice to think about doing something for your partner, but, um, you know, it might be hurting you more than helping you. So here's my closing question today. If we were having the same discussion three years from today and you were looking back over those three years, what has to have happened in your life uh, personally for you to feel happy with your progress, with your budget, with your finances? Give us a call at 508-998-8858 and let the professionals at USA Wealth Group help you. Thank you for listening. 